Uh, would you pick up your Bibles again, please, and turn back to Acts chapter 10, and we'll f- finish the chapter together. Starting at verse, uh, halfway through verse 23. At the next day, Peter rose and went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying... Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your arms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who's called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you've been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and caused him to appear, not to all the people, but to us, who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. They were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who've received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. This is God's word. Now, have you ever thought what it took for the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to get to you? 
you guys sitting here. You know, we live nearly 2,000 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, that means the gospel has been passed down generation to generation. You know, let's say around 25 years a generation. That's 80 generations. 80 generations of faithful believers telling others about Christ. And, and people have travelled miles to get it here. It, over three and a half thousand miles to get here to Aberdeen. And for some of us here, it's travelled even further. You know, people have taken the gospel to Nigeria, to the United States, to Korea. People travelled by foot, by horse, uh, by cart, by boat, by car, uh, by train, by plane. People have travelled in snow, they've travelled in rain, they've travelled in the hot sun. They've travelled against armies and kings. They've crossed numerous different languages, from Greek and Latin and Early English, Germanic, German, Gallic. You know, it just keeps going. They've crossed cultures and ethnicities. And here we are, people from all nations, all types of people, young and old, rich and poor, men and women. And it's it's amazing, isn't it? And this, this spread, this spread of the gospel across so many boundaries, nearly stalled in Acts chapter 9. Without Acts chapter 10, most of the world's Christians wouldn't be Christians. It is a pivotal moment in the life of the church. Now this chapter, in one sense, is, is about Cornelius's conversion, isn't it? You may have noticed that. It's about the gospel getting to Cornelius. But actually, it's about Peter. We, we need to read it from Peter's perspective. Now, since we've read the whole story through, I want us to start actually at the end, where Peter gets to, and then we'll work backwards to see how we got there. Okay? Now, the big thing that Peter has realised by the end of this story, by the end of this incident, is this. All people can be saved by God. And so the gospel must be preached to all. Okay? It's that simple. All people can be saved by God, so the gospel must be preached to all. Now, by all can be saved, I'm not, I'm not talking about the nature of God's election. I mean all types of people. Salvation is for all kinds of people. It's for different races, it's for different sexes, it's for different languages. Because just think about Peter. Peter is standing at the end of this story in a house he normally would never have come into. He's in the house of a Gentile. That's someone who isn't a Jew. And he shows what's truly changed in his thinking. Have a look at verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. In other words, that God has no favourites. He isn't reserving salvation for one kind of people and not for another. Salvation through Jesus is for the Gentiles and for the Jews. And God then confirms this understanding. Do you notice salvation comes to all those in front of Peter? Verse 44 While Peter was still saying these words, notice the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And so Peter declares, verse 47, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who've just received the Holy Spirit just as we have? All can be saved. And saved in exactly the same way. It's by the power of God 
through the preached word of Christ bringing faith. And since all are saved in the same way, all are one. All are one in God's church. We're one faith, one baptism. We're one family. And that's, that's why he preached the gospel to them. If all can be saved, all need to hear the gospel of Christ. And you know, it's not a different gospel. Hopefully in, in Acts, the, the sermon Peter preaches is very familiar. It's very similar to the sermons we've already heard. It's a sermon about Jesus and exactly the same call at the end of it. Verse 43, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone who believes in him. All can be saved, so the gospel must be preached to all. It's a glorious ending, and it's one of the moments in the book of Acts. It's one that reverberates around. It reverberates around Paul's writings too, especially the book of Ephesians. All, black, white, pink, rich, poor, men, women, those from the highlands, those from the lowlands, those who eat meat, those who can't eat meat. All types of people. That's why we're here. Well, if that's the ending, how do we get here? Well, in terms of the structure of this passage, this is a beautifully uh, put together uh, uh, incident crafted by Luke. Through um, We get there through two visions. Do you notice we've got Cornelius' vision and then we've got Peter's vision. We then have two journeys. Cornelius' men come to Peter and then Peter travels to Cornelius. And then we've got two speeches. Cornelius says what's happened to him and then Peter preaches the gospel. And then finally, we actually have two confirmations of it all. Firstly, from God pouring out the Holy Spirit. And then in chapter 11, we get the confirmation of the church. Uh, But that's for next week. Two visions, two journeys, two speeches, two confirmations. But within it, there are two important commands. Two important commands from God that drive home to Peter what's changed. And what he needs to do. We're going to focus on those two commands to help us to live in light of that big truth that all people can be saved. And the the two commands that I've, I've slightly reworded are this, okay? Don't build walls and don't stay here. Okay? Don't build walls and don't stay here. So firstly, let's think about, excuse me, let's think about don't build walls. Okay? Now, as I said, this is about what changes for Peter. So although the story starts with Cornelius, I want us to focus in on the vision Peter has. Okay, now this, this does require a little bit of explanation for us because it's pulling a lot on the Old Testament. So I hope you're concentrating, okay? Verse 9. Okay, Peter's up on the rooftop. He's in the midday sun. He's a bit hungry. He's having a time of prayer. And then God gives him an extraordinary vision. Did you notice a sheet descends with all types of animals on it? Okay, Peter's hungry. There's food there sitting in front of him. And Peter's commanded, rise, kill, and eat. But Peter is adamant, no way, Lord. Like, I, I, I've never eaten anything that's common or unclean. Now, what's going on here? Why does he say that? You know, surely just tuck in. You know, there's potential for sausages and burgers and fish pie sitting right in front of him. Well, it comes down to what God has commanded in the Mosaic law. That there are a number of laws that were all about separating clean and unclean, about making distinctions, separating things out. Okay, so back in Leviticus, the whole of chapter 11 is all about what you can and you can't eat. 
And it's summarized like this at the end. This is the last few verses of chapter 11 of Leviticus. This is the law about beast and bird and every living creature that moves through the waters and every creature that swarm on the ground to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean and between the living creature that may be eaten and the living creature that may not be eaten. Now, lots of uh, reasons have been suggested why God had food restrictions. You know, was it an early form of hygiene? Was it a form of medicine? Well, really, I think... This was fundamentally actually a deep reminder for the people of God about being separated out. Okay, every time they thought about which food they could eat and which food they couldn't, they were being reminded of the fact that God had separated them out from the world. He had called them out of the world to be his holy people, to be set apart to be pure. And so these laws both reminded them of that, but also helped to enforce that distinction. You know, the likelihood of a Gentile house keeping all the food laws was very slim, and so a law-keeping Jew wouldn't eat with a Gentile. So in a sense, these, these commands are a bit like a wall, but they're a wall of protection. You know, like a, like a big sea wall protecting you from the, the crashing waves of, of Storm Dennis. You know, to help, to help these Jews grow in holiness, they were reminded of being separate from the polluting influences of the Gentiles. A wall of protection from their idolatry, from their ungodly living. Okay? But these Mosaic laws, they're, they're, they've always been just a shadow of what was to come. Moses himself predicted a greater prophet to come. And, and along comes Jesus. And Jesus was clear that in his own ministry, some laws he had come to intensify. The moral laws, like do not murder. But other laws he was clear that he had fulfilled them. That they weren't to be kept like before. Like these food and clothing laws. And so, so God is saying in this vision to Peter, he's reminding him, look we're in a new order. Sure, before, you were right. You were right previously to not eat these things. But things have changed. A new prophet has come, a better prophet than Moses. And God makes it so clear in his second statement. If you have a look at verse 15. And the voice came to him a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. Okay, what he has made clean, he's, something's changed. A change has happened. Now, before we see what implications this had for Peter, I just want to give us a little moment to see what difference this makes to our Bible reading, okay? of, our, of our reading of Old Testament law, because that can be tricky. The, and there's a bit of a spectrum. Some people say, you've, you've got to keep the whole Old Testament law, just like the Jews did. And we can see here, that's, that's not right, is it? God had clearly changed things with the coming of Jesus. Peter was not meant to keep those food laws. But you also get people at the other end of the spectrum who, who virtually ignore the whole Old Testament and say we only do what's commanded in the New Testament. And for some, that can get linked to the current kind of sexuality debates. You hear people saying, well, you, you, you eat shellfish and, and pork, but yet you still hold to the Old Testament law on sex. Surely you're just, you're just cherry-picking the bits of the Bible you want to. 
That's a serious accusation, isn't it? But this vision of Peter gets, uh, that Peter gets is showing us we have to approach different parts of the law differently. We definitely don't want to be cherry-picking, do we? But instead, letting the New Testament guide us. So we know sacrificial laws, the, the, the sacrifices of lambs and animals, they've gone because Jesus died fulfilling them. And food laws, yes, they've gone. That's because God has made clean what was common before. And we don't enforce the Old Testament punishments because they were part of Israel's judicial system as a nation state. And now God's people are scattered. But it's also, remember, when, when, when it comes to God's moral laws, like the Ten Commandments, rather than getting rid of them, Jesus and his apostles teach them all the more. Just think of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about do not murder and says that even applies to anger. Or when he meets the rich young ruler, he, Jesus doesn't get rid of the commands but says, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal, etc. But the moral laws, they don't go anywhere. So I hope this is helpful. As you come to read the Old Testament, it's really helpful to remember the different types of laws. There are laws to do with sacrifices, that Jesus fulfills them. There are laws to do with Israel as a nation. So these food laws that we've been thinking about, the judicial laws. Uh, and we don't do those because the nation has changed. God has made them clean. And then we have the laws to do with moral living, like the Ten Commandments. Those we do aim to follow. Okay, I know that's been quite rich and, and hopefully not too complicated, but I hope, hope that makes sense. Please come and talk to me afterwards, but I hope it's helpful. But let's go back to Peter. Peter, he, he's been reminded that when it comes to these food laws, this wall of protection, God has now made all foods clean. Now, not surprisingly, verse 17, Peter is reeling from this vision. Okay, do you notice this? He's inwardly perplexed. That's a great phrase, isn't it? You know, he would have known the truth of this from Jesus' teaching, but this, this vision just brought it right home, doesn't it? Right there in front of him was these foods to eat. He actually has to eat them. God has made them clean. Like, this is a huge thing for him. But the great thing is Peter doesn't stay confused. He's not always inwardly perplexed. Because after his journey, as he stands in Cornelius' house, have a look at verse 28. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Okay, do you know, Peter's made a connection. He's realised that the truth about food goes further. It's now about people. It impacts his view of the Gentiles. Now, to say that the Gentiles are now clean, he's not saying suddenly they're morally pure and do everything right. No, we know it's our hearts that make us unclean in that way. No, he's talking about this idea of separation. Because since the food separated them, since that has been made clean, that means the Gentiles now, in some sense, are clean to the Jews. They can mix with them, they can talk with them, they can eat with them. And this is because they're in the new age, the age of Jesus Christ and his spirit. The gospel is going out to all people. So this means whatever was stopping the Jews from eating with the Gentiles, reaching out with their neighbours, 
Uh, they've gone. If Gentiles are to come in, Jews need to be able to go out to them. The, the Gentiles are now clean, in a sense, for the Jewish Christians to reach out to them. And so God was reminding Peter, verse 15, what God has made clean, do not call common. Common is another word for unclean. So, so God's made them clean, so don't call them unclean. In other words, don't rebuild the walls that I've taken down. Don't rebuild the walls that I've taken down. Don't rebuild that wall of protection. All people can be saved. Don't build walls. Now for us, this is a wonderful truth that Peter then went on to obey. As I said, you know, because if Peter had rebuilt those walls, if the Jews had stayed distant from the Gentiles, we would not be here today. We should be so thankful that the church heard this message, don't build walls, don't call common what God has called unclean, because the gospel from here on out goes out to the Gentiles. But it leaves us with a challenge, doesn't it? We, we have been infinitely blessed because, because of this teaching. And yet, once we've received the gospel, how are we guilty of then doing the opposite? How do we then rebuild walls? Now, for us, it's not the walls of Old Testament food laws, I suspect. But other walls, other walls to stop us reaching out with the gospel. You know, what stops us taking the gospel out to the world? You know, have we erected a wall of language? Perhaps, well, I, I didn't do very well in school at French, so there's, there's no way I'm going to be able to learn Japanese or Swahili. You know, once they learn English, then I'll tell them the gospel. Or is it the wall of comfort? You know, for me to go into their nation or to, to their region or into their house, I, I wouldn't get to enjoy the, the lifestyle I'm used to. My kids wouldn't get the education, I hope. My house wouldn't be the size, I hope. Now, I'm not saying these aren't small issues, but are they insurmountable obstacles to reaching people with the gospel? Are they walls that, that keep us safe, but actually end up keeping the gospel in? Don't build walls. Are there walls of pride in our hearts? That, that person actually doesn't really deserve the gospel, or that, that person is too far gone, or, or that person would never turn to Jesus. Perhaps linked to this, uh, perhaps we build a wall of, of not wanting to be tainted or polluted by the world. We retreat like hermits into our own kind of Christian ghetto. I wonder if we build a wall rather than of unclean food, but of unclean entertainment. Now, now, this requires wisdom, I know. Okay, Some films, some music, some clubs will only lead to immorality. Okay, A strip club, for example, we never go there. Okay, That's obvious. And this depends on our temptations and our consciences. But, but let's not hide from the public spaces. Let's not hide from the places where we'll be with non-believers. Are we at the football stadium, the concert hall, the reading groups, the gigs? Or have we retreated from them in fear? I'll give us just a moment to consider, are there walls you're building that you know that's stopping you proclaiming the gospel to others?
So for Peter to know all can be saved, so the gospel must be preached to all. God commanded him not to build walls. Secondly, he commanded him, don't stay here. Don't stay here. Now, straight after his vision, the men who were sent by Cornelius arrived. You know, it's God's absolute timing, isn't it? They're downstairs, standing at the gate, asking for Peter. Now, Peter's still going, what, you know, kind of, what was that all about? But then the Spirit come, somehow communicates with him. Genesis in verse 20. And the Spirit says, rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. You know, there it is. There's the next step for Peter. It's, it's not just that he needs to know there aren't any walls. He needs to actually go with them without hesitation, without doubting, without stopping to rebuild the walls again. He's got to go. The Holy Spirit saying, don't stay here. Don't stay in this house in Joppa. Don't stay in this Jewish world. You've got to cross the gap. You've got to head out. And that's exactly what Peter does. The next day, he travels the many miles up to Caesarea. And then the day after that, he gets there. Verse 25, he goes into Cornelius' house. He crosses that threshold. And then verse 27, he goes further into the house to see the family. If all can be saved, Peter knew he couldn't stay here. He had to go. He had to cross that divide and reach the Gentiles with the gospel. If God doesn't show favouritism, nor must he. He could have just stuck to the Jews and hoped a Gentile would come and talk to him. He could have just stuck to the temple courts in Jerusalem, hoping a Gentile convert would come in. But no, the Holy Spirit was clear. Don't stay here. Go. Go and preach. And there's an interesting detail that just shows us how important, that, uh, that shows us the importance of people, of people crossing this divide. Just remember the first vision. We haven't spent much time on with Cornelius. What did Cornelius see? He saw an angel. An angel of God came to him. But God sends an angelic messenger to tell Cornelius to go and get a human messenger. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Rather than just doing it all through an angel, God gets his message preached by people. Cornelius needed to get Peter. And I suppose in, in parallel our thoughts on the walls we create, you know, who do we need to get out to? Who do we need to get out to preach the gospel to? You know, who's never going to darken this door and come into this room? And this applies to us, I think, on lots of different scales. Okay? Now, perhaps for some of us, it's not staying in your home, but just going next door. Just going to the next door neighbour and knocking on their door and introducing yourself. Perhaps for some of us, the scale's a little bit bigger. It's about where we live. It means picking to live in a flat with some non-Christians. And I wonder if where we live is one of the most challenging parts of this, actually. In, in the USA, the, the issue of the gospel crossing racial boundaries is a, is a much bigger one, uh, I think, than it is here. But it, and lots been written on it. But one American writer argued that Christians need to be challenged, and I quote, to transgress the boundaries of real estate. Now, real estate is where they live. So to transgress the boundaries of real estate by buying where we should not living where we must not, 
by living together where we supposedly cannot and being identified with those whom we should not. It's about breaking those barriers, those barriers in our society. And I wonder if that's got something to say to us in the middle class church of the UK. Where are we choosing to live? Do some of us need to hear the call, don't stay here. Move to a different kind of housing area, a bit rougher, a bit smaller. Somewhere we're not expected to move to. All can be saved, so all need to hear the gospel. And for some of us, perhaps the move is actually a lot further. You know actually you could get on a plane and move to a different country altogether. You know, just think of those missionaries who made their way across the waters to this island to get the gospel to us. You know that there are people, there are people groups in Iraq, there are people groups in Indonesia that haven't heard of Jesus Christ. I think of a, a friend of mine uh, from uni called Sam. He learned Urdu and then went out to Pakistan. Another called Graham, who, who um, grew up in the village I went to, um, was in, sorry, and who, who on a school trip at the age of 15 went to Moldova. He came back and spent his time learning Russian. He now lives out there with his family, leading a church. Ordinary guys who didn't stay here. Don't stay here, go. On different scales. But to finish, it's worth reflecting on what happens again just right at the end of this section. Verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. What an amazing sentence. Of course Peter was commanded not to build walls and not to stay here, but this is a passage about God's work from start to finish, isn't it? He's the one who sends an angel and a vision. He's the one who helps Peter understand and who's grown Cornelius' faith. He's the one who saves. He's the one who pours out his spirit even on the Gentiles. God is growing his church. He's the one who's reaching out to all people, to all types, to all nationalities. And so may that be an encouragement for you. Stepping out in faith, knocking on your neighbor's uh, neighbor's door next door, or heading off to another nation to preach the gospel, it's not leaving God behind you. It's catching up with him in front of you. This is his mission. Don't build walls. Don't stay here. We know that all can be saved. So we preach the gospel to all. Amen.